In fact, I've never even, I, don't, I haven't even seen them. I'm like, okay, I'm, I, just tell me I'm old. It's okay. But the principle behind those bracelets was that we need to see an image or the characteristics of living like Christ, and we should do that on a daily basis. Well, the Old Testament is full of what Christians call foreshadowings. It's what God the Father um, and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, sovereignly anointed men to write the Bible. And as they wrote the Bible, especially the Old Testament... They were going to incur situations, examples that were going to be a foreshadowing or a precursor of a Christ that was to come. Joseph is one of those characters. Matter of fact, most scholars say there's at least 70 similarities between the life of Jesus and the life of Joseph. And we're going to take the next few weeks and study this man named Joseph's life and see how many characteristics and how many similarities there are between him and Jesus that would be coming later to all of our lives. And so I'm going to ask you today, I have the honor now for 16 plus years to have had moments where I've prayed for each and every one of you, most of you. There's been times where I've been there on the best day of your life and I've been able to pronounce you husband and wife and there's been times where I've been there on the worst day of your life with you as we loved each other through a very critical and crisis-driven moment. But today I'm going to ask you before I preach to pray for me. Every year about this time I suffer from some severe allergies and I had some blood work done and they're trying to find the cause. They're trying to find really what's going on. Because I haven't felt good for about two weeks. And I get to go back to the doctor tomorrow about 1 o'clock. And I am going to hope and believe that he is going to help me. He or she, I haven't met them yet, is going to help me find out through my blood work how I can really deal with this time of the year better. So would you pray for me as we pray together for God's word to go forth. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask you today for the anointing power of the Holy Spirit to rest upon me as your servant that is going to speak your word and convey your word. I want to convey it with passion, anointing, excitement. Uh, Father, allow your word to be illuminated in our hearts and in our minds. Let our eyes see through scripture everything that you've desired for us to, to see. Father, I ask you to strengthen my body and give me favor today. And I ask that in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. See, one of the things that you have to realize about this man named Joseph is when you meet him in Genesis chapter 37, the first five verses are talking about a dysfunctional family. This dysfunctional family is, we know him as Jacob or Israel, the father of the nation of Israel, and he's going to have 12 sons that are going to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And in the dysfunctional description of this family... It tells us that Israel or Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other kids. And he symbolized that by making him a coat that had multiple colors on it. And it was a gift from a father to a son, but it represented how much he loved him. Now, how many of you are parents of multiple children? Say amen. I am as well. I have two boys. And sometimes they say, well, who's your favorite? I said, whoever I'm with. 
Because I want them to, I really want them to know that I do my best, that whomever I'm with at the time, I want them to feel special. Now, my kids give and receive love differently. They have different personalities. So I can't love one more than the other because I love them with all of my heart. But I did have to demonstrate that love differently. Here in the book of Genesis chapter 37, it talks about a father's love that was so dysfunctional because he had assigned him a position that really fed his own ego. That, that should, one, bless us to know that God uses people that are flawed. Can somebody say amen? Because none of us are perfect. But this man had produced such angst within the, demog- or the dynamics of his children that because of that coat of many colors, the Bible says his brothers hated him. Hated him. That's a strong word. They didn't really like him. He wasn't popular. If everybody was going to, if nobody was going to cheer for him at the soccer field, they were like, I hope somebody knocks him down. You know, that's the, the, the back story. But about chapter, verse 6 or 7, the Bible stops focusing for a moment on the dysfunction of the family and starts to center in on this 17-year-old young man that is about to dream two dreams. In those two dreams that I'm going to read about in just a moment, you're going to find out that God is going to assign a call, a purpose, an anointing. That is different from his brothers. Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis 37, 5 through 11. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in a field. And behold, my sheave arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream. And it, told, and it told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to, to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his fathers kept this saying in his mind. See, both dreams assigned Joseph. God was revealing to Joseph there was coming a future moment where he was going to be placed into a position of authority. And in that position of authority, others were going to be subject to his authority. And it was represented by the ones that he loved, his family members coming together and bowing down before his position of authority. Now, I'm here to tell you, if you already have a strained relationship with a family member, it's probably not the best thing to share with them that they're one day going to bow down before you. See, some things you just want to keep to yourself sometimes. This dream may have been one of them. But do you realize that Joseph is in such... A reflection of Christ that you can't find one scripture that tells you about him having a character issue. Not one. 
See, these dreams are fantastic because God is revealing to him there's a moment in time where I'm going to call you to do something special. I want to tell you that there's a moment in time where God wants to use you. And it can be just as special as this moment like Joseph. But I want you to understand this is the first similarity between Jesus and Joseph. Did you realize that when they shared their positions of authority, people got mad and they rejected it? Remember when Jesus come before the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes and said, I'm the son of the heavenly father and I'm one day going to sit in a position of authority? They hated him for that. Joseph, at the same time as he's sharing these dreams with his, with his brothers, they start hating him for that. But the assignment, nevertheless, was the same. And you have to know that God has a special call, a special purpose, and a special mission for each and every one of your lives. But it may not be like the person sitting next to you. And everybody, when you understand what God's call is upon your life, everybody's not going to cheer for you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you had an assignment from God and everybody just cheered you on? You would like, I'm going to put hell out with a, with a water pistol. I'm going to just, just get me a hose and I'm ready. Sometimes people are going to call you crazy. Sometimes they're not going to be as friendly as they need to be. See, sometimes in the development of you fulfilling your purpose, you've got to develop some thick skin. It's called the process. Look at your neighbor and say, the process. You say, what does the process mean, pastor? The process means this. God in this dream gave him the beginning and gave him the end, but would not tell him the middle. You know why? He did it on purpose. Because if you ever knew the, the impact that God may place upon your life to touch other people with the power of the gospel and the hell it's going to generate for you, you may choose not to do it. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Check this out. What if God would have come in the dream and said, Hey, you are going to be in a position of authority, but this is how we're going to get you there. Your brothers are going to hate you so much, they're going to plot to kill you. They're going to beat you about half to death, strip you naked, throw you into a hole, then sell you to the Ishmaelites, which are going to then sell you to Potiphar. Then you're going to be accused of sexual assault. You're going to be absolutely innocent, but they're going to convict you anyway and sentence you to a life in prison where you're going to serve 12 straight years then I'm going to do something. I don't know about you, but that's the point I'd have said, I pass. <laughs> See, God didn't share with me all of the details even of going down this process of becoming Citygate. Because he didn't tell me, you're going to take a group of people from 940 Tarpon Street, you're going to go to the school. About half the people are going to leave because they hate those little desks and hate the process. And they're going to leave and they're going to go other places. And don't be harsh and don't be bitter. They probably need to be in those places. But I'm going to assign you. Other people are going to, I'm going to first reveal pride in you. And after I reveal pride in you, there's going to be a breaking process. After the breaking process, I'm going to trust you with people again. They're going to, the crowd's going to gather again you're going to be at peace in your mind again but then right when you think everything's going your way I'm going to raise up a 125 year old liturgical traditional Baptist church formal in their dress and they're going to call you for some help you're going to come casual and contemporary and half charismatic and you're going to be blended together and then we're going to do something I'd have said pass See, God knows what you can handle. 
And just because we pray for God to give us every detail, He knows you can't handle every detail. So these dreams had a purpose and a mission that He deposited in Joseph. And then the second similarity between Him and Jesus is that the Father, both of their fathers, send them on a mission into hostile territory that requires obedience. Let's start with Joseph. Now, the Bible has already three separate times told you that his brothers hated him. His dad gives him an assignment. I want you to go a few days away. I want you to find out wherever your brothers are, 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 flock, are, are shepherding the flock. And I want you to check on them. Pass. <laughs> but through obedience, he goes. Knowing that they don't like him. But isn't that what Jesus did? When the heavenly father said, what will we do? And he said, I will take off my glory and my sovereignty. I'll take on the skin of man. I will be born in a manger. They'll hate me all along the process. I'll end up being crucified by my own. But yet I'll raise again on the third day from a bald tomb. And I will redeem all mankind, even though they hate me all along the way. It's called obedience. And all of a sudden... Joseph starts on this journey. Now, he gets lost a little bit. That's not a similarity between him and Jesus. Jesus never gets lost. But he gets lost a little bit. Ask for help. Ask for directions. Ladies, wouldn't you like to have married a man like Joseph that would stop and ask for directions and not act like you've assaulted his character if you say, I think we're lost? This man decides, I'm going to ask for... He, he's unique. That's why he's like Jesus. I would have never asked for directions. Come on, man. Somebody say amen. We know where we're going all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As the GPS keeps going, rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. I know where I'm at, baby. I'm, I know where I'm at. They're wrong. You know how these things get messed up, especially in Cape Coral. <laughs> That's good. I don't care who you are. (laughs) But his brothers see him from a long way off. And here's the third similarity. They plot to kill him. Can you imagine raising one of your best friends from the dead? And instead of everybody celebrating the resurrection of a man named Lazarus coming out of a tomb, the Pharisees and the Sadducees become so consumed with anger and jealousy over his call that they plot to kill him. Now here's a good word. I'm going to regress for just two minutes. Please don't worry about anybody else's call. Just because it don't belong to you doesn't mean yours isn't important. And God isn't running out of mission or purpose for any one of you, so you never have to stand in a position of jealousy because somebody else's call may look different than yours. See, Pastor Furtick from Elevation once preached a message called uh, Comparison is the End of Contentment. And it's true because I want to compare my life all the time to Bishop Jakes. He's a better preacher... He's got a guy that plays the Hammond organ. And even when he preaches a bad sermon, you can't do it with a Hammond organ behind you getting everybody ready to dance. That joker can preach, man. 
And he pastors 25,000 people. But you know what? I'm not called to be Bishop Jakes. I'm called to be David Pleasant. And God has allowed us to have a relationship. And I am very honored for that relationship. But I don't have to sit around wringing my hands going, Bishop Jakes' congregation is bigger than mine. And God run out of callings and gave me a little one. No, He gave me an important assignment for you and for me. <coughs> it frustrates me sometimes when somebody gets jealous of somebody else's call. Why don't you just focus on your call? You can't be them. But the beauty is they can't be you. You're you. Seven billion people, you're the only one with one of them. That one belongs to you and you only. Your thumbprint calls you unique in the sight of God. And all of a sudden, they don't want to just kill him. They're more trying to kill the jealousy of the dream that they heard. And they literally say this. I'm not going to read it. They can skip down into the, the outline. I'm going to read. The next verse I'm going to read is Genesis 18. They can get that one ready. It'll solidify what I'm about to say. Is you have to understand. They saw him and they didn't identify him as Joseph. They said the dreamer comes. And why don't we kill him? And if we kill the dreamer, we kill the dream. Reuben stands up, intercedes on behalf of Joseph. Listen to what 18 says. Then they saw him from afar, and before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said one to another, Here comes this dreamer. Come, now let us kill him, throw him into one of the pits, and then we will say a fierce lion has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. His brother Reuben intercedes, and he says, Let's don't kill him, because one will feel guilty, because he is our family. Then we got to make up this big lie, which we're going to do anyway, to tell our dad. But why don't we do this? Let's beat him up and figure it out later. And they beat the tar out of him and strip him of all of his clothing. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? That's the fourth similarity. They stripped him of his robes, left him beaten and bruised in a hole. Well, Reuben says, well, I've saved him. I better go for a little break and figure out what I'm going to do next because they want to kill him still. And while he's gone, they see a band of Ishmaelites coming through. And one of the brothers says to the other brothers, I know what we'll do. We'll kill his dream, but we won't have to kill him. We'll sell him into slavery and let them kill him. And you know what they sell him for? The fifth similarity. Pieces of silver. Just like Judas sold Jesus for pieces of silver. So now, get this. We have this man that reflects at least five similarities just in the few scriptures that I've read that reflects similarities between his life and the life of Jesus. And he has now been beaten, he is stripped, he's humiliated, and now he's been sold to the Ishmaelites. What a dream. See, sometimes we think just because God gives us an assignment that represents authority, we think that everything is going to go our way. We think there's not going to be any pain in the process. And many of us make mistakes along the way 
that delays or postpones the call, the dream, or the mission God's put us on. This is, should be one of the most encouraging messages you will ever hear for those of you that thought you've lost your moment. Because the only way you can kill a call, a purpose, a mission, or a dream from God is to kill God. As long as He is, your dream is alive. See, because what you have to understand is they thought they had ruined the dream of authority by placing him in the position of a slave. Because you can't get to a position of authority from a position of a slave. Anybody ever watch Gladiator? You remember when they sold him into slavery? And he's going to go to the uh, arena He's going to die with the gladiators. And he's in, so I kind of picture that in my head. He's in that little wagon with all the other slaves. And the whispers start. I thought God gave you the dream. I thought you were going to be in a position of authority. I thought your brothers were going to bow down to you. I thought God was going to use you for great things. And sometimes you start believing the whispers. Because maybe you've done, maybe you've had some slip-ups along life's journey. You've gotten some brokenness along the way. You've made some bad choices, bad decisions. So have I. But man, see, when I was young, God revealed to my parents that I was supposed to pastor. I was going to be a pastor. Can you imagine looking into the eyes of your 18-year-old son that is high when you're telling him? that he don't live in his house anymore. He don't live there. And they're putting him out for, the, for his best interest. And all of a sudden, when the door closed, you don't think the devil started whispering, there goes your pastor. He's getting high tonight. He's never going to become a pastor. He's never going to fulfill the call that's upon his life. He's never going to get to the position of authority that God has assigned him in your dream. But what the enemy did not know is that there was a God that was still alive that gave the, my parents the dream. And he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, hovered and protected that dream, even through my dysfunction and rebellion. But there was coming a moment where the clarity of my mind would be restored and my walk would be regenerated. And all of a sudden, the pastor was going to come to the surface out of the frailty of the brokenness of this young man. I might have to get down here to preach the rest of this. You got me a good song for today. Because we're going to keep on this mission about Joseph. But you got, I want you to picture it in your mind. He sold to the Ishmaelites. They don't live in Egypt, but God tells them to go to Egypt. Because they go, for some unknown reason, maybe they had an event in Egypt. God says, okay, hey, take this one to Egypt. Then you're going to resell him to a man named Potiphar. Because what you thought was the pain, and it, by all means it hurt, and you've walked through and got some scars, but what you did not realize is the position of absolute failure of now becoming a slave instead of a prince 
God was going to use as the vehicle to get you where you were in Canaan all the way to the position of where he had to get you in your dream is all the way over here in Egypt and he was going to use all of this painful stuff to get you there. And then for some unknown reason, they have him probably less than a week, they're going to sell him again. A 17-year-old kid, he's going to be around a while. That's the ones you want to keep. But something again comes over the people that bought him and said, we got to sell him to somebody else. Where is this man named Potiphar? See, what you don't understand is your mistakes, your failures, your shortcomings all along the way that you thought have now disqualified you from the call, the purpose, and the dream, and the anointing. God can still use to get you back into the place of blessing and say, now you've got a few scars. You're limping along the way, but you still have a dream living inside of you. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? I don't care what you've done. Don't care who you've done it with. Don't even care how long you've done it. But there's something inside of you that's laying dormant even through all of your rebellion. But one encounter with the transformational Jesus and allow the power of His blood to truly set you free and you are right back one more step into being in the right position on your way to Egypt getting back into your call. Somebody say amen. One more minute, let me preach this thing. I preach this thing in first service. Their average age is 74. Because I wanted them to know. Because sometimes they look at the outside and say, our day has passed us by. We are no longer capable. If God can make a slave a prince, what can He do with you? He can overcome age. He can overcome bad decisions. I've had ladies tell me, I can't do that because now I'm a mother and I've got ten kids. And how am I supposed to do that with ten kids? Because there's a God that gave you the dream in the first place and your ten kids didn't su surprise Him and He'll still maneuver things around. Well, I'm a husband. Now I'm, I've got the responsibility of working and being a provider. You don't think God already knew that when He put the dream in you when you were 16? Well, Pastor, I've, I've made some moral mistakes. Guess what? It didn't surprise God. He knew, still gave you the dream anyway. Because maybe the restoration of your life will be testimony to the restoration of somebody else's. Would you not listen to Amy sing this morning? Would you be committed that when she begins to lead us in worship, you join in worship and remember the dream, the call, the purpose, the assignment God has for you. Will you lead us in worship? When the weight of life begins to fall on the name of Jesus, I will call. For I know my God is in control. And His purpose is unshakable. Sing that with me. When the weight of life begins to fall. On the name of Jesus, I will call. For I know my God is in control. 
and his purpose is unshakable. It doesn't matter what I feel, doesn't matter what I see, my hope will always be in your promises to me. Now I'm casting out all fear, for your love has set me free. My hope will always be in your promises to me. Oh, as I walk into the days to come, I will not forget what you have done. You have supplied my every need And your presence is enough for me It doesn't matter what I feel Doesn't matter what I see My hope will always be Your promises to me now I'm casting out all fear, for your love has set me free. My hope will always be your promises to me. You will always be more than enough for me. You will always be more than enough for me. You will always be more than enough for me. Cause nothing's gonna stop the plans you made. Nothing's gonna take your love away. You will always be more than for me cause nothing's gonna stop the plans you made nothing's gonna take your love away you will always be more than enough for me yes you will always be more than enough for me it doesn't matter what I feel it doesn't matter what sing that again in just a few minutes you know pastor get to the point when we look at our dreams sometimes in our current position it looks impossible and God took a slave and made a prince out of him we're going to learn how he did that over the next few weeks and if God can do that he certainly knew what he was getting into 
when he put the dream inside of you. He knew all the brokenness, all the moments that you would think that the time has passed and that it's too far gone or too much water under the bridge. We're talking about an impossible working God that can do anything. You're not too far away from fulfilling your dream. Would you stand with me for a few moments? Thank you.